That was a laugh. That was a very loud laugh. Why don't you uh, shake the hand of the person next to you? Because that's what people usually do when they greet their brethren or sister. Yeah. Hope you're feeling good about life. Going well. School, career, job, bills, growing up. You know, being a teenager. Is that still is that still a thing? <laughs> well, good deal. Uh, I'm glad you're alive. I'm glad we're here together. Hope you're happy to see me as much as I'm happy to see you. Someone's dying in that hallway over there. This Friday, the van is leaving at 6.50. Whoop, 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 6.50. Bring food money, going to a youth rally at the Brownings. Greater life or faith, one of the ones. You need both of them, so it, you'll, you'll get there when you get there. Greater life, greater life. So we won't have greater faith, but we'll have to live off a greater life. Okay, 6.50, be here, van is leaving, bring food money. Okay, good deal. Let's pray. So our hearts and minds can be open to focus on the Lord, to hear His Word. We're going to have fun tonight. We're also going to learn a thing. Amen? The church says amen. 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 Pray with me. God, we thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy. Uh, pray with me. Won't you thank you for... <laughs> oh, man. That was... In Jesus' name, we thank you, Lord. Amen. There's been text going out for Holiday World, which... I know none of the details for, but your money's due soon, like in two weeks, right? On a Wednesday. On a Wednesday. It's the layout. Yeah, okay. Just read the text. My goodness. Okay. Listen, sit down. Life is short. We are going to Hollywood World this month. It's going to be exciting. And you have a text about how much it costs. Okay? So I, um, I kind of was inspired through this conference that we just put on for the state of Kentucky for ministers and spouses it was called Refresh, and the shocks that were here Sunday, they both spoke at it for two days. And I felt very validated in some of my convictions about prayer and devotion. Um, I felt very, very excited about things they were saying, things that I've tried to live by, things that I've found in Scripture. And so I kind of got amped up. So I want to take this moment 
in the next two classes to have what I'm going to call the covenant series. A covenant is a promise between God and man. It's a commitment. And I want us to kind of put a pin in the map as a youth group, as a hyphen group. I want to kind of bring us back to the basics, to prayer and devotion. I want us to, is that, look at that, I'm telling you what, Mr. Miyagi, look what I did there. I want us to really take inventory and be, I'm not going to be mean. I have no hostility tonight. We're just going to be honest about where we are, okay? We're going to be honest about prayer. We're going to be honest about the Word of God. Tonight, I'm going to give you the biblical, the revelatory challenge, a call. Next week, we're going to have a more detailed workshop on prayer and devotion. And the third week, we're going to talk about how that influences your neighbor and your ministry to your church, okay? So this week, we're going to talk about bitter water and manna. Next week, we're going to talk about prayer. The third week, we're going to talk about what if your neighbor is Paul, okay? We're going to go that way, all three lessons of the covenant series. So tonight, bitter water and manna. Let's start here. The Israelites are being led out of Egypt. God has dropped plagues, and they are walking out of Egypt, okay? The Bible in the New Testament is very clear that the Israelites' journey in the Old Testament from Egypt through the Red Sea, walking in the wilderness, getting to the Promised Land, it is a, a allegorical representation of your spiritual salvation in the New Testament. Okay, so I'm going to break it down for you. Because we need to look at this to know how to live for God post-becoming saved. When you got born again of the water and the Spirit, if you've not been born again of the water and the Spirit, repentance, baptism in Jesus' name, the infilling of the Holy Ghost, the evidence speaking in their tongues, as Peter preached it. When that happens in your life, as Jesus told Nicodemus, you've got to be born again of the water and of the Spirit, that is called redemption. You have entered in. The rest of your life is called sanctification. That's where you live with God, you walk with God, you grow with God. It is not the most exciting thing for most of us, this other part, walking, living with God. Because we think, I'm saved, what's the use? I'm done, like, I've got it now. Why do I have to pray? Why do I have to fast? Why do I have to, I mean, I come to church because it's cool, but I actually have to come to church to make it to heaven. Like, we ask these questions, especially in our carnal moments, because I got the Holy Ghost, I believed in it. I got better in Jesus' name. I believed in it. Why, what's the use of it now? Well, the Israelites, they are being led out of Egypt. For you, this is like repentance. They are leaving where they have been. The word of the Lord has come to them. He has moved in their life, and they are vacating where they have lived. But they're not freed yet from Egypt. They're pursued by the armies of Pharaoh. When you repent... You were saying, I'm done. I want to leave this place. I am beginning to walk away. Repentance means to turn about. But you're not freed yet, okay? If you don't seek the Holy Ghost, if you don't get baptized in Jesus' name, if you don't achieve the new birth through obedience, then you're going to be tracked down and you will not be freed from what you're walking away from. So they get to the Red Sea. They are pinned in between the armies of Pharaoh and the Red Sea and a pillar of cloud and fire that the Lord has caused to develop, that he is in the midst of, is separating Egypt from the Israelites, protecting them. All night long, the waters begin to part of the Red Sea as the Lord begins to push upon the Red Sea with wind. They begin to walk through the Red Sea, and the pillar of cloud and fire stays in between the enemy and them as they walk through the darkness of the Red Sea. When they get to the other side... The waters begin to collapse. And in the morning, they watch 
as the waters of the Red Sea swallow up the enemy. What does that have to do with you? Well, the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians that in the Old Testament, they were like baptized by the Red Sea and by the pillar of fire in the way that you were baptized. They weren't saved salvationally by it, but they were saved in that moment from the armies of Israel. He's saying it's like your New Testament salvation. Why? When you get the Holy Ghost, God is present in your life, protecting you, leading you, and guiding you. God was the pillar of fire. He was the presence in their life, leading them, guiding them, protecting them. Whenever the waters collapse, the waters that they went through, when you get baptized, you have to get in the water through obedience in Jesus' name. What happens? You get out of the water, and it says your past is buried. Is it not? You're a new creature in Christ. What happened when the Israelites got out of the water? The Egypt that was pursuing them was drowned by the water. And Paul said, it's like your New Testament in filling of the Holy Ghost and being baptized in Jesus' name. Now they are what? They are freed. Here's the kicker, though. They are in the wilderness. They're in a place that's not their home. They're going to face people that do not think like them. They're going to be thirsty. They're going to hunger. They're going to have challenges. They're going to journey to a place called a promised land. Hebrew says that their physical promised land represents your spiritual promised land of heaven. They are now saved people, but their journey just started. Most of us are saved people, and our journeys are just really getting started. You have to learn how not just to be someone that's been freed by God, saved by God. You have to learn how to be someone that knows how to live freely with God. Because the Israelites are about to go through situations where they are not living freely with God. They have just been those that have been freed by God. They stumble, they rebel, they make mistakes, they sin, they build a golden calf. They are not listening to God's word, being led by his spirit. They are just saved people that are not living to the fullness of the salvation that God has given them. The Bible says it this way. When you get born again, you are a babe in Christ. And Paul says that at first, all you can handle is the milk of Scripture. You begin to pray. You begin to live in accordance to God's Word. You begin to understand a little bit. But he says you must grow to be able to handle the meat of Scripture. Not meaning just understand it like you're a theologian, but to want to live it, love it, hunger it, grow in it. He's saying we must, what? Mature. Ephesians 4 says we must grow into the full stature of Christ. When you are born naturally as a baby, you are what? You are now alive, are you not? It's awesome, you're cute, there's so much potential, it's wonderful when babies are born. They're alive, we celebrate it. Everybody thinks strangers' babies are adorable. I go through an airport, everybody wants to talk to me when I have my kids. When I go by myself, nobody talks to me, it's amazing. Babies, everybody loves babies, okay? They are alive. But we know if that baby does not grow, does not get fed, does not try to learn, does not, does not try to have discipline when it gets older, if that baby does not be nurtured and guided by its parents, if that baby does not live a good life, it does, we feel like it's a waste. The reason why we love little babies is because the potential of what they could become is still fresh. There's still hope. They may not turn out like us. They may be better than us. What we're banking on is they become alive. That's a gift, but they have to learn how to live. When you got born again, you are now alive in Christ, but that doesn't mean you know how to live with Christ. Being alive is not the same as knowing how to live. Being saved is not the same as knowing how to live in that salvation, to have peace and abundance and joy. We don't want to just get to the promised land of heaven, but yet we almost die from thirst most of our lives. 
Being freed is not the same as knowing how to live freely. So they enter on the banks. They're walking a land that's not their home like we are. And they're learning about how to walk with God. You have to learn how to walk with God. If you stop and just rejoice about you got baptized, if you stop and just rejoice about being filled with the Spirit, you're going to miss out on so much with God. And the odds of us making it get harder and harder and harder. For instance, the Israelites, they approach a bitter pool of water. It's bitter to taste. That means danger. That means don't drink it. So they're freaked out. They're dying of thirst. And here's what they tell Moses. You should have let us stay in Egypt. You should have let us stay in Egypt. It was better to have our thirst quenched. It was better to be in Egypt. But now that we've tried to be with you and obey God and live for God, now we're thirsty and now there's problems and there's struggles. There's bitter water. Here's what happens. When you start to try to live for God, like when you try to have a prayer life, maybe tomorrow, you try to obey the word, you try to be spiritual, quote unquote, and not be carnal, you're going to have a moment where you're going to get thirsty and life's going to be hard because you've entered the wilderness. You're walking with God. You've never been there before. You left whatever Egypt. Sometimes Egypt is, you were not saved, now you're saved. Sometimes Egypt is, I'm a saved person, but I'm trying to be less carnal. I'm trying to be more grounded. I'm trying to be more sensitive. I've left old ideas. I've left old relationships. I've left in Egypt. Whenever we try and our flesh begins to freak out, we're going to forget about the chains of our Egypt and the whipping of our Egypt. And all we're going to think about is what we, the comfort we had in Egypt that we don't have walking with God. We always forget about the pain that we were running from whenever we had to sacrifice and trust the Lord. They're freaked out because they're thirsty, but yet there's scars in their backs they forgot about. For some reason, we enjoy the twisted comfort of certain bondage rather than walking in the uncertain freedom that living for God offers. Like, it's more comfortable to me to be carnal, to watch shows that are not pleasing the Lord, to listen to music that's not pleasing the Lord, to not, and just be, try to be just an okay person. It's more comfortable to come to church and not try to pray for people, not try to be used of God. It, it's more comfortable for me. And you know what happens is I become numb. I don't think about the world's problems. I don't feel burdens for you. I'm not thinking about morality. I'm not thinking about higher, deeper things. And I feel comfort. And I may even be happier because ignorance is bliss. And the church says amen. But when you begin to walk with God into new areas, you're going to feel pain you never felt before. That's the pain of awareness. That's the pain of growth. That's the thirst of having to reach and be stretched. And whenever your flesh says, you know what, I found more comfort in Egypt. Of course you did in some ways, but you're trading the bondage of where you were for the momentary discomfort of growing with the Lord. They are freed, but they're not living freely. They wanted to go back to Egypt. And you're going to have to walk away from ideas, comfort zones, concepts, relationships that are Egypt's to you. And whenever you're out there, do not run back and forget about what you walked out of just because you got thirsty in a moment. The Lord did something with this bitter pool of water. It was important. He led them here on purpose. He said, Moses, take a tree. Now, the ESV says, take a piece of wood. I looked it up. KJV says a tree. The Hebrew says a tree. We're going to use a tree. Take a tree, throw it in the pool of bitter water. It must have been a big pool. I mean, your, your nation has to drink of it. He throws it in the pool of water, and all of a sudden it's purified and becomes sweet. That's a miracle you never heard preached before. It becomes sweet. As soon as I heard that, 
I got, I felt like a burden come upon me. And I, I read the next statement and it says, and the Lord took the opportunity to teach them right here, to make a rule with them. He said, if you listen to me, you will not deal with the plagues and the diseases of Egypt. If you listen to me and obey my word. He's, ha he's highlighting the fact that they just obeyed him by throwing that tree in the water. They drank of the water. Without obeying him, they get sick. And he's saying, listen, I just showed you. If you listen to me, you won't get sick like the diseases of Egypt. You won't deal with all the issues of the world, not because you were simply freed by me, but because you're living with me. Notice, he did not say you will not deal with the plagues and the diseases of Egypt because you're my people and because I freed you from Egypt. He's saying it's because you're living in constant communion with me. You being born again does not mean that we can just drink of any pool we want to drink from. We can live any way we want to live. We will get sick. Paul says we can't just go on sinning willfully. We can't just be carnal at anything in. We have to watch and let God purify and lead us and guide us and hear him. When you got born again, you're given a birthright. But that's not a get-out-of-jail-free card to live blatantly. We have to learn how to live. We have to live in that. When he said, throw that tree, I felt the Lord make me go back and read the verses in the New Testament where he said, pick up your cross and follow me. It says that Jesus died on a tree on Calvary for our sins. He lived in preparation for 32 years to die on that tree. He lived a holy life. And the promise is, is that if we take up that cross by being born again, but being born again is not just what it means when you take up your cross. It means you carry it through your life. You live in submission to the word of God. Jesus lived and submitted to the purpose of the cross. He had the power to get off the cross, but he stayed nailed to it. And then the promise is the life he lived for the cross, you can live the same life. That's why you pick it up and carry it. When you get born again, you had a moment with the cross. But we must be willing to carry it. Because the only thing that purified that bitter water was somebody threw a tree in it. And the only thing that's going to purify and lead you and allow there to be a sweetness and a joy and a peace to your life is you've got to be willing to carry the tree, carry the cross. Be in communion with him. The most dangerous thing is a saved person that does not walk with God because they start doubting that God is not good. But God has tried to be good, but we got to throw the tree in the water. We drink relationships, careers, we get in different aspects of life, and it's bitter unto us. And we wonder why God is not great. God has been great. We just got to hear his word and walk with him and pray and fast and obey the scripture. It's like trying to drink of a bitter pool without hearing the voice say, throw the tree in it. And so we think, well, why was God so great when he saved me? But God's not great now. God is still great. We just got to walk with him. We, we got to pick up the cross again. God is the only, carrying that cross, the only reason why we do not drink a bitter pulse. There's a reason why the Bible says that Esau, blessed by God, walking with God, when he walked away from God, he began to have roots of bitterness well up within him. He tried to repent, but he could not. Whenever we are saved by him, but we don't let him teach us how to live freely, we begin to come, become bitter at God. We begin to doubt miracles, signs, and wonders. We begin to doubt the goodness of God, and bitterness wells up in our lives. And we're out in the wilderness not knowing what we're doing, but God is trying to direct us. There's a danger. That's why the Lord says, do not just be warm, or do not, do not just be lukewarm. 
He said, I'd rather you be in or out. That's why he says the most dangerous thing is to be saved and to walk away. It's better that you were never born than to receive it and reject it. What he's saying is, if you lay down the cross and just try to live on my freedom, you're going to do a lot of bitterness. The most bitter saint is somebody that will not walk with God, but they've been freed by God. They turn the corner. They're led directly to 12 palm trees and 75 pools of water at, at Elam, and they're able to have all their thirst quenched. The Lord dealt with them first at a pool of bitter water to teach them, you got to listen to me. I'll lead you places where you're going to have all your thirst quenched. I'll lead you places where there's peace and there's joy, but you got to go and listen to me. They began to grumble and complain. Their thirst was quenched, but now they're hungry. They are freed people walking through the world out their own, and they're hungry. And they say unto Moses, it would be better for us to go back to Egypt because in Egypt we had pots of meat and we had bread to eat. Here's the thing. They're wanting God to do a thing in their lives, but look what they're comparing it to, what they had in Egypt. You kind of know the story. God's about to give them manna to feed them. But when manna falls, you know what they say? What is this? This is, I didn't, what is this? They're wanting what they had in Egypt just out here with God. Can I tell you something today? Very, very important. God does not want to just give you Diet Coke versions of what the world is promising you. God is not just an off-brand of what the world is trying to give you. He is not trying to just be a supplement to sin. And sometimes we pray for God just to be alternatives to what we don't want to get out of the world or what we had in the world. But that's not how God operates. And sometimes God drops manna in your life and you go, what is this? I wanted what I had in Egypt just out here with you. <laughs> but that's not how God operates. God wants to do above all we can ask or think. He wants to give us more than we ever bargained for. He doesn't just want to give us what the world offers us. When you live freely, new things come into your life. When you're wanting to date somebody, God is not just going to change what they dress compared to the person you could date somewhere else. He wants to give you someone with a better heart, better morality, with courage, bless God. You want confidence and joy? He's not going to be, he's not going to be the light version of whatever the world gave you. He's going to give you abundance. He's going to give you things that you were even unable to ask for, but you got to obey him, listen to him. When they said, what is this? The Bible latched onto this. And one day Moses said, your forefathers did not know what manna was, but he let you hunger to give you a new thing so you can learn that man cannot live by bread alone, but by the word of God. A bread, God said, will rain from heaven and it will feed you to teach you that the only thing that's sustaining you is my word and you walking with me and you living with me. You know what they say in the New Testament? Give us this day our daily bread. Bread and the Bible are supposed to be images of each other. The word of God spoke is sustained them. And when you walk with God, it's supposed to be spiritual manna every day in your life. But they were not looking for transformation. They were just looking for God to transfer something. They weren't looking for God to be transcendent. They just wanted God to give them something without them having to go to the world to get it. And God gave them a new thing. But here's the thing that gets me. Okay, do we want to be freed or do we want to live freely? God drops manna, and God had rules for his manna, okay? God said, it's going to rain, 
In the morning, manna will fall from the sky. The dew of the ground will begin to dissipate, and you will go out and gather it in the morning. Everybody say in the morning. You know what happened if you didn't go get it in the morning? The sun melted it. You had to go get it in the morning. David said, you will hear my voice in the morning praying unto you. They could only gather enough for that day. If they gathered and tried to store it for the next day, it would rot and have worms. There were rules to the manna. The only day they could get more than one day's worth was the day before the Sabbath because the Lord wanted them to rest. And here's the other rule. You're not going to be able to go gather manna on the Sabbath. It will not fall. You know what happened? People didn't go out in the morning and it melted and they went hungry and God got angry at them. People stored more and it rotted in their shelves of worms and God got angry at them. People went out on the Sabbath day to look for manna and it was not there and God got angry at them. And the Lord says, why are y'all testing me? You ever heard your mom say that? Are you trying to tick me off? What is going on? There are rules to my manna. But they kept disobeying it. They would not honor God's timing, God's instructions. They wanted to receive an extraordinary gift, but handled it with ordinary means. When you were saved, it's a miracle. The greatest miracle you ever see is when you got filled with the Holy Ghost and you had the faith to get in the water and be baptized in Jesus' name. That is the greatest miracle you ever see. It was supernatural. You could not make yourself get it. You could, God gave it to you. But then when God says, Here's how they got the manna. The same pillar that's meant to be a representation of your Holy Ghost led them through the Red Sea. The same pillar shows up and the Lord told Moses, get ready, I'm going to drop manna. Manna came because the Lord was present in the pillar. The Holy Ghost is going to show you how to live and be sustained by him. He's going to lead you to the Word. He's going to lead you with his presence. He's going to be the manna to you. He is your rest. He is your joy. He's going to sustain you. But there are certain ways he wants you to handle his manna. We cannot just obey God to get saved and then try to handle the gift of our salvation with carnal, ordinary hands. We can't go get man anytime we want. We got to get it the way he wants us to get it. We can't handle it any way we want. We got to handle it. We cannot say thank you for the miracle and then use it with carnal, worldly ideas. Prayer is not our idea. You know why prayer is not our idea? Because none of us hardly pray. Not just in this room, the whole church. But we all prayed for salvation. We all prayed when we got baptized. We all prayed. We believed in doing it God's way until we got it in the wilderness of life. We stopped wanting to use spiritual methods for living for God. You got to handle miracles not the way you want to, but the way he wants you to. You know what conviction and condemnation, the difference is sometimes? They put the manna on the shelf and it rotted. Conviction is when you hear the word say, let's talk today. Conviction is when you say, I, I need to pray today. Conviction is, I need to respond to God in church today. Condemnation is when we put it on the shelf and it rots. And then three weeks later, you're in church and you're like, I wish I felt the way I did three weeks ago. But it seems like I've said no too long. And it's rotted on the shelf. The difference is, it's just do you respond to the manna quick enough? Manna fell every day like prayer is supposed to rise up every day. The word was there every day. Like the word's supposed to be in our lives every day. They didn't go and it melted. That's what happens when the Lord is pulling at us, prompting us, but we don't respond, it melts. There were people that were bitter at God for being hungry that day, but he told them how to get it. Because here's, here's, here's God has a timing. He still has a timing 
There are moments that God wants to move to you and you cannot, you cannot pass them by. And we're about to get into that. There are moments in which God says, I need you to respond right now. And we're like, is this real? I need you to pray for them right now. Is this real? I need you to read your Bible right now. Is this? We doubt the, the timing of God, right? But we pray for blessings. We pray for his protection. We pray for God to give us manna. But yet we doubt the timing of God. Manna falls in the morning. Do I really have to get it then? Is every Sunday important? Do I have to really respond in altar calls? Do I have to pray every day? Do I have to, like, is the time, here's what happens. We begin to believe in the provision of God, but not the presence of God. When we believe in his giftings, but we don't obey his timing. When God begins to pull at us and prompt us, if we don't respond to that, we become people that believe in his provision, as the Israelites did, but they didn't obey his timing. You know why? They didn't believe in his presence, really. They didn't believe in his presence. They believed in him as much as they believed in the weather. Today, it's going to rain because it tends to rain at this time of the day. Maybe I'll go out and get bread today. They did not trust in his timing and obey it. Why am I saying this? Because when you got born again and you begin to obey the word, you built a New Testament altar. In the Old Testament, physical altars of stone were built in obedience to God. A New Testament altar is when you say, I believe in the word, I have faith in the word, I'm going to live with the word. A New Testament altar is not physical, it is the word of God being applied to your life. Okay. In the Old Testament, they put a sacrifice, a substitute for them. They put a lamb or a ram or an oxen on the altar. What's the sacrifice for the New Testament for a saved person? You. Paul said, present yourself as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. You are on the altar of the word. You're the sacrifice. You're living it. You're breathing it. You're loving it. They would light the sacrifice on fire unto the Lord. What is the fire of the sacrifice that lights you unto the Lord? It is the Holy Ghost. It is the fire. It is the infilling. It is what purifies you. It is what makes you pleasing unto him. It's what lifts you up in communion with him. The word is the altar. You are the sacrifice and the spirit is the fire. Now, when you get born again, you're given a very, very wonderful privilege. You get to reach to God whenever you want to. And there's many times in the Old Testament people reach to God whenever they wanted to. You get to pray anywhere, anytime. You get to read the Bible anywhere, anytime. You get to reach to God and he will respond. You get to, you get to prompt the Lord. And this happens in scripture all the time. Jacob, he built an altar at Bethel. He lit the offering unto God, and the Lord responded to him. It's amazing. Over and over, Abraham, the Lord provided a ram. He lit it unto the Lord. The Lord was there. He named God Jehovah Jireh, my provider. Abraham lit it unto him. People were able to reach to God. That is whenever you decide, you know what? I got issues. I got dreams. It's whenever you're filled by passion and hunger, and you say, today I'm going to reach to God. Today I'm going to walk with God. Today I'm going to love God. You get to prompt the Lord. But in the Old Testament, we see times in which God lit the sacrifice on fire before man was able to lift it up to him. When you reach to God, you're lighting the offering up to him. But there are moments in which God wants to interrupt your life and light the sacrifice of you. But we got to be sensitive enough to let him do that. Moses walks on Mount Sinai. He has kept sheep on the same mountain for 40 years. And there's a bush that is on fire. That is not odd. Things burn in the wilderness. But today, he realizes something's different. It's not being consumed. The Bible says that God spoke to him when he saw Moses draw near to it. 
He was not going to speak to Moses and Moses did not draw near. Why? He was being prompted by the Lord. And all of a sudden, Moses' life has changed. Moses could not reschedule his burning bush experience. <laughs> Moses could not say, next Sunday. Moses could not say, I'll, I can go three weeks without praying. God has timing. God has tempo. God has invitations. We all believe that we can get a hold of God. I hope we do. Like, it's common. We believe, in God, but we stop believing that God is trying to get a hold of us. Here's what happened. Because we live with a more, and this is not, I'm saying we, culture, church, not you necessarily in this room only. We're living with a more carnal baseline, a watermark that's higher than we realize. Our great-great-grandfathers, they would feel it in a way we don't feel it anymore. You know what we're living like? We're so fixated on the fact that we can get a hold of God that we're like calling God on a phone and getting a hold of him on Sundays and when we need to. And we have our phone on silent, not realizing he's been calling us, but we're too insensitive to hear it. And we think, I can get to heaven just calling him. And you probably can, but you're going to miss out on living freely if you can accept his calls. Here's what happens. Gideon didn't, was not praying. Ooh, there's power there. Gideon did not pray to, to change the world. Gideon didn't even know what God was doing in his life. Mighty man of valor, the angel Lord says. And he thought the angel Lord was just a guy at first. He's not praying for it. He's not prompting the Lord. He's just told, bring a sacrifice on this stone and lay it before the Lord. He does so. He's not there because he has a need. He is not prompting him. He's not reaching for anything. He doesn't know what's going on. And the angel of the Lord touches the sacrifice with his staff, and the sacrifice is consumed with fire. Elijah, sacrificed unto God, says that the God that answered by fire, God consumed it with fire. Solomon, sacrifice in the house of the Lord, and God consumed the sacrifice. You've got the Holy Ghost, and it's amazing when you, you, you light your sacrifice, and you get in the Spirit, and you pray, and you worship. And it is amazing, and it's a gift. But something transformational happens when you see the validation that God has lit the sacrifice today. Gideon said, I have seen the face of the Lord, and I have not perished. You know why he was so shook? If he lit the sacrifice unto God, he'd have thought, this is a good worship experience. But his life has changed because he realized, I didn't like that today. God lit it. What I'm saying is, what happened when you used to go to church and you didn't have a need, but for some reason you were just willing for whatever would happen, and God came upon you when you weren't reaching out to Him? Remember the joy of when the unexpected interruption happened? I bet you could take an inventory of your life and you look at all the times you reach for God, and there are a lot. You reaching, prompting Lord, a lot of tallies. But there are moments in between in which God's interrupted you, and they're less but they've been so transformational and they have validated every other moment. I'm telling you, it's God's will for all the moments he prompts you, all the moments he consumes a sacrifice to outnumber the moments in which you lighted unto him. I'm telling you, something different happens when you let him consume the sacrifice. But it takes work. You know what it takes work? I can call him with passion and fervency. I can prompt him. But it takes sensitivity to let him call me. I can come to church and say, I got the word and I'm the sacrifice and I got passion in the Holy Ghost. Here I am, Lord. And I can find him. But I got to be sensitive and I got to live a little differently where he can call me, where I can hear him. It's harder to be prompted by God. It's easier just to be one that prompts him. He said, manna falls, but you got to get it when I say to get it. The word is there but you can't let it expire. 
It's got to be daily. I'm going to say this, and this is where I'm closing. And this is rhetorical. We all believe the Holy Ghost is real, do we not? We all believe in the Word of God in baptism. We all believe in all these things. But you know what is weird and strange, and I find it myself, and I, I, I feel it in our culture of church. Why do we believe in the new birth? We believe in being free from Egypt. We believe in God, have faith in God, but yet if we don't have faith in prayer, in daily interaction with this word, we're in a strange place. So I obeyed the word of God at a church service like at the Holy Ghost. I feel the Holy Ghost at church. But yet I'm dealing with problems in the wilderness. I'm drinking from bitter pools because I don't speak to the same Holy Ghost at home. Why do I believe in the conversation in these walls, but I don't believe in it outside? Isn't that strange? It's not just us. It's carnality. It's the enemy. It's, it's a lot of things. It's harder at home. But doesn't that put us in a weird place? Isn't that like being freed by God's power from Egypt, but not receiving his power in the wilderness when it's manna trying to sustain us? Doesn't that make you kind of bitter sometimes at God? Like, why are you real here, but not real there when I need you the most? And he's saying, if you listen to me, if you let me prompt you, the word of God is real. You believe it. You obeyed it. But do you believe that when you open it and look at your physical Bible every day, something transformational is happening? When you study it, do you believe that God is rewiring your brain? Not just the content it gives you, which is transformational, but do you believe that engaging with it is transformational? Something holy is happening in your life. Even when you're reading Leviticus and you have no idea what's happening. Do you believe that? Do you believe that when you talk to God about the weather and about random stuff, that you are actually... Here's what... What did I say earlier? What is manna? Okay. They only wanted God to do what they wanted. Manna was shocking. Okay, your prayer life is going to be shocking. Your walk with God is not going to be what you prayed for. It's going to be what you needed, though. What did I say? They did not obey God's timing. They wanted to go out whenever and get it. If we deny when it's time to get the manna that we have to do it a certain way, is that not denying God's presence? If I worship in church, but I don't pray, do I really believe in the presence of God? Do I really believe? I'm not in my... Hannah tells me sometimes I don't feel as me. I'm not being, I'm being convicted for me, for you. I'm challenging you. We have to eat the man in the wilderness or you will get bitter. You will backslide. You will die in the wilderness. We have to believe in prayer and devotion. We have to hear the voice of God. The same spirit that saved you is still speaking. And we look at the Israelites and say, why are they always complaining? Why are they always, like he's there. He's with. If I saw that as they saw that, you think I... But we have that inside of you. But yet I grumble like the Israelites all the time. And I rejoice about the moment I got saved, but I don't feel very saved all the time. <laughs> I'm drinking from bitter pools because I'm not throwing the tree in it anymore. How you handle holy things, you have to believe that prayer is real. And you have to believe that the Bible is real. Not real like, I believe it happened. I believe it's... Believe it in action. You have to do it every day. You have to go out or it will melt and it will rot. And you'll be in a church pew 45 years from now. And we'll be no use to anybody. And we'll wonder why we're in church but our kids are not. And we'll wonder why our marriage didn't turn out the way that we were promised. 
and we'll be bitter at God, but yet we'll pay our tithes and we'll be good saints and new converts will be so excited about the Lord, but they'll look in our eyes and they'll be confused by our coldness because we've been walking in the wilderness and we're so thirsty and we're so hungry because we stopped getting the manna. God, I feel the Holy Ghost. Why don't you bow your head? I'm not going to make this more than it has to be. I just want you to bow your head real quickly. Lord, we thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy. We thank you for your strength. We thank you for your sustenance, Lord. There's a way that you're leading us and guiding us. The most dangerous person to be is to be a freed person that is not learning how to live freely. The most dangerous person is someone that walks away because they didn't think you were great. But you are just one invitation away from being great. Manna falls every day. Lord, I pray for the purity. I pray for the courage. I pray for the faith. I pray that we hear the word. The same miracle-working power that got us out of Egypt is still speaking in every moment. We've got to believe in daily engagement. We've got to believe in it. I am weary. I am weary of the 17-year-old backsliding. I am weary of the 17, 16-year-old becoming 32 and sitting on a pew and wondering what happened. I am weary of scars. I am weary of people not thinking you're as great as they did when you first found them. I am ready to see life changed and to be a blessing to my neighbor. This cometh only by much prayer and fasting. In Jesus' name we pray and the church says, amen. amen. Why don't you stand? Why don't you shake a hand, be friendly. Next week we'll talk about how to pray. Hope I stirred you up. Think about it, ponder it. He that hath an ear, let him hear. I can only lead you to the water. I can't make you drink it. I'm not calling you a donkey. That's just part of the illustration. Amen. A horse.